Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Psalm 37 last week, and it's pretty heavy duty, right? I mean, there's a lot of, but I think we're, we're we, we've got 40 verses here. We got through 20 of them, and it's starting out. But what we focused on a lot last week was just this idea of, you know, when he says that the writer, who presumably is King David, he says, "Don't be agitated." Okay, we all agree we have the capacity to be agitated, but this isn't just. He's not saying don't be agitated in a sense of just don't, you know, get a bad attitude or something. He's talking about agitation from a standpoint of like retribution and revenge and reciprocating back onto other people evil and all that. He's saying don't be agitated rather instead of that, right? He says trust in the Lord and do what's good and take delight in the Lord and commit your way to the Lord. And he actually has the audacity to say be silent before the Lord. Right. And so we look at this as well as just as human beings, our own capacity to want to get revenge and retribution in any number of ways on others. OK. And we're transitioning in over here in verse 20. We're going to go ahead and pick up with that. I'm going to read this through. We're going to talk just a little bit about this, um, hopefully bring some practicality to some of these lessons here in the Psalms. So in verse 20 of Psalm 37, it begins as David writes, uh, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastors, will fade away. They'll fade away like smoke. The wicked man borrows and he doesn't repay, but the righteous one is gracious in giving. Those who are blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. A man's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He's always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil and do what's good and dwell there forever. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart and his steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord won't leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he's judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he'll exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I've seen a wicked and a violent man, well-rooted, like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he couldn't be found. 
Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the man of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He'll deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. Okay, so let's stop for like a second because a lot of times it's really easy in my experience. Uh, we can get lost in the weeds of a song, right, where you're hearing something and the point of this particular poem or poetry in general, in particular when it's when it's in the form of a prayer. Okay, is that there are certain there are certain devices that are going on. Okay, and so one of those devices is repetition. Okay, so is there a word that you heard over and over and over again just from those twenty verses? Is there anything that you can recall just from hearing that? What you hear? Yeah. Justice. Okay, so there's that word, this idea of justice, of God loving justice and bringing justice. What else did you hear? Well, yeah, over, you start hearing over, and that's what I mean is you can almost be lulled into a, the wicked, the wicked, the wicked, okay? Lauren, you're, you're going to say, okay. Okay, so two wickeds here, all right? Any other, anything else stand out to you that you just felt like it was just destroyed? Destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to hear those words, okay? It's it's absolutely okay. Alright? And so you get this idea of of the righteous and the wicked, the righteous and the wicked, the righteous and the wicked. It's supposed to be that way. Okay? It's unfortunately, maybe me and you, I maybe we're gosh man, I mean we we live in a time I don't know what popular music was like. In a thousand BC, okay. I know for us, popular music is really like you know popular. I guess you'd say, but you know, it's it's like such a part of our culture. It's such a part of like we love the music we love, right? It, it means something to us, but it's such a humongous part of our world. And maybe we become a little bit spoiled from a standpoint of when we go back and. We read literature like this, and we read a poem, or a poem that's meant to be sung, or something like that, right? We kind of lose the appreciation because because our songs can be kind of catchy, and and you know we could go down the list of all of the ones that kind of we remember because they're super catchy. Okay, and these have the devices of, of of this repetitiveness of the wicked and the righteous, and the wicked and the righteous, and it's meant for us to be thinking about well, what does he mean by that? Okay, and so it's interesting here. Um, let me just got this is just a little kind of discussional time here. Okay, is when you think of King David, who presumably wrote this. Okay, when you think of King David, all right, what would he have known of God at his time in his life? So he says he's old now. So he's either been king already or he is king. All right. So what is David's history with God? What would he have known? About God, can you think of a story he would have known? Can you think of a specific incident he may recall from the history of God? Can you think of anything like that? Story known. Okay, that yeah, you, you, you're looking at this going. This guy would have absolutely been so like he, uh, the understanding of God and Noah and all of the 
these things, okay? And so he would have that. He, his history does go back to that. What are some other things you think he would remember? Maybe in his own family line. Okay, so that, that's here's why I'm asking that question is is what what is so good about the Psalms and, and it's so much of the Bible, but the Psalms require us to give a little bit of thought of going, oh, this isn't a guy who's just like free flowing with his writing about who he thinks God is. Is this is a guy who was brought up understanding about the great stories of his people about the faithfulness, about the highs and the lows, right? The, the history from the beginning of everything, right? Through this time where, you know, you think of uh, when, his, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and then freed and saved by God and led through the desert and then into the promised land and the time of judges where, boy, if there was any kind of chaos going on, Right? So why this is good, there's so many things, but hopefully it slows us down to be able to, could we tell the story of God up until the time of day? I think that's pretty valuable for me and you to be able to do. Right? Is to be able to go, what's he drawing from right here? Even in his own life, what do you think he could be drawing from when he's talking about this idea of, of really from the beginning of Psalm 37, when he's like, hey, don't be agitated by evildoers and don't, when, when people who are doing the wrong thing seem to be getting ahead, like, don't worry about that. Like, what could he be drawing from in his own life? Can you think of anything? There's a couple things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he was on the run and being chased and hunted down and all that, I'm sure he's feeling that stuff. You know, uh, what I thought about was Bathsheba when he says that, you know, that we fall, uh, though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand. And I imagine him walking through repentance and that kind of stuff, yeah. thinking about that when, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so again, just bringing things to life here. So it isn't just, oh, it's a, it's a psalm. I like a few of these verses, but what is the entirety of this means? And, and what is this guy talking about? And, and, and here's the interesting thing is all of us sitting in here is there's a history of God in our life. Yeah. Right. And it, it didn't believe me. It didn't start when you started coming to church. Okay, it didn't. The, the history of God in our life didn't begin at baptism. Okay, is the history of God began from the beginning. And what I love about this is you have a man who is who is just pouring his heart out, and you get this idea that as he's writing this, I don't get the impression he's thinking of me and you when he's writing this. Okay, I, I get this idea that as he's pouring this out, it could be considered maybe maybe a dual role. Maybe one of the roles is just him like speaking faithfully, just working through things faithfully. I mean, there's something so important about putting faithful words, like saying faithful things, right? Because isn't it so easy in our brain to say things that aren't faithful and to tell ourselves that things are horrible and things will never get better and this is just how life is going to be and it's so easy to have these things and so we have this man, he's pouring his heart out and he's saying, but 
He understands the wicked will perish in the Lord's enemies in verse 20, like the glory of the pastors will, will fade away. I mean, can, could you picture him like reciting this over and over and over again while his, while his heart tries to catch up with what he's seeing? Where he's going, oh my goodness, there's wicked people and the Lord's enemies, but I know they'll fade away. I know they'll fade away, not because he just has a feeling they'll fade away, but he's seen it in his own life. He's seen it in the history of God. He's seen these things, right, Is uh, as he's going through this. And so, again, the, the challenge, and maybe the, you don't call it homework for us, um, is to be able to look into this and go, man, how did this man, like, where was he drawing from? What is the story of God that he's drawing all of this from? But there's something that could trip us up here, okay? And here's the interesting thing is Psalms, the thoughts, the prayers, and the poems of people committed to living life under the rule of God. Okay? That, that's this guy. David right here, he's not trying to not be under the rule of God. He's not trying to not be inside the kingdom of God. He's not trying to leave. He's not trying to decide. He is working his heart out with the commitment to living under the rule of God, okay? Here's what can happen to me and you, though, is what can happen is this, is we can look at a psalm, we can look at God's word, we can look at the church, a community of faith, we can look at that and go, okay, here's what I really need. How can God make me feel better so I can go ahead living my own life the way I want? And, and I want us to just like absorb this for a second or two. Because this is a very fine line in discipleship. This is a very fine line. One is, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. I want to love people the way he's loved me. Right? I, I want to be changed, not for my sake, but I want to be truly living and abiding in Jesus. But it can become really, really, really like a very strange dynamic in a church when it can be, look at, I want to, I want to learn from God so my, so I can feel better to therefore go and live my own life the way I want to. Right? So the way I want to live my life is I have all of my dreams and all of my desires and all of my wants and all of the all of the directions I want to go and who I want in my life and how I want my life to be and my children to be. And I want all of those things. But along the way, I just want God to make me feel better. So I can go ahead and do those things. And those things will be even better. Okay? Do you see the difference in the two? Right? There's a very subtle difference in that. One is we're still king of our lives. Like we're still the king. We're still going, I'm doing this and I'm doing these things. I'm buying these things and I'm going these places. And the other is I'm going to do and go and be wherever God wants me to do and go and be. Like I want him to be my king and truly to be my father and to be my king and all of these things, all right? So again, I wanted to highlight this because this is something that each one of us has to examine in our own life, right? It is, is how we're viewing life in general right here, okay? 
And so when we read something like Psalm 37, I'd like for us to get just a little bit practical here um, to have an idea of what was the purpose? What was what was the reason why we have this group of writings in the middle of our Bible? Okay, And again, we've already talked about this, this idea of this was a prayer book for the church. This was a prayer book for the Israelites, okay? And so um, the, the question would be is how does that work that way? How does it work this way? Like what would this look like? So let's take, we're gonna take a couple of sections and I want you to just kind of think through this, all right? And so um, uh, as, as we're reading down in verse 25, he writes, I've been young and now old. Yet I haven't seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. The righteous are always generous and always lending, and his children are a blessing. Right? If we were to just be walking our way through this, and, and we were to, to be reading this and thinking through this and meditating on this and kind of just ruminating, I've been young and now I'm old and I have not seen the righteous abandoned. Have you ever seen the righteous abandoned? Have you ever heard of the righteous being abandoned? Think about this for a second, though. Right, it's a little bit of a trick. A little bit of a trick. Have you ever heard of a righteous person being treated unjustly, abandoned, mistreated? Right. So here's the stopping point right here. It's not just this mindless iteration of this. I'm going, you know, if you were to talk to God about this using the literature of David where he said, I've not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He's always generous and always lending. You know, now's a good time to stop and go, like, God, teach me how this is true. Right. Because sometimes I see the righteous who are treated unjustly. <clears throat> Like, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? What does this really look like? What are you talking about here? Right? It's like, how do I wrap my heart around this? Is he talking about this as something that's going to be like always? This is like a law forever? Or is this David just going, man, you know what? When I, when I look back on the story of my life and what I've seen, the vast, like, the lesson I can take from it is that I haven't seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. All right? And it's okay to stop there and go, I'm not sure, and keep going through this, but he's always generous and always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil and do what's good and dwell there forever. And, and the purpose of that is we should stop and think through this. Let me ask you this question and you can think about it for a minute here. When you read this, turn away from evil. Do what's good. Dwell there forever for the Lord loves justice and won't abandon his faithfulness, right? He won't abandon his faithful ones. What comes to mind that you would think that this would be a conversation starter with God? Okay. What comes to mind where you would read that and go, okay, well, hold on a minute here. What am I supposed to turn away from evil? You know, as David's writing this, do what's good. Dwell there forever for the Lord loves justice and won't abandon his faithful ones. 
how could you begin praying in that particular section? Does anybody have anything? I'm not, again, I'm not asking for you to just kind of throw it all out there, but can you think of something that would cause you to pause and start interjecting some conversation with God? What would you say at this point? Can you think of anything? What would you say as you read this and you meditated on this? What's coming to mind in your world? Any thoughts? Um, I just see people in my life that I see falling into the traps of not doing it and the repercussions of those decisions yeah. and what turmoil they have to go through because of those decisions yeah. versus the people in my life that I know that have sacrificed quote unquote moments of fun and have reaped the benefits. Right. See, well, here's what's the great thing, and I thank you, Madeline, for sharing that. Is what well, the great thing about this is it's actually creating a depth of character for us, like a depth of us being thoughtful about our own life in light of what another, our brother David, is writing. And unfortunately, sometimes when we don't practice this, it's very easy for us to become kind of superficial. Right? We're just going, oh, I'm just reading this, and oh man, okay, I don't really get much out of this, and I'm not really sure. And we don't stop long enough to be able to go, man, if I'm listening to David, let's say speaking this, or I'm reading this as I would be today, how would this prompt me to begin talking back to God? How would this, like, draw me out? How would this maybe question my own heart here, okay? The righteous will inherit the land. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of God is in his heart. His steps don't falter. All right? Again, the, understand that this idea of us having our hearts drawn out is such an important concept. Okay, because one of the things that we do understand from beginning to end of God's history of mankind is that he's not so much interested in the words we say, but what's going on on the inside. We can all affirm a lot of different things. We can affirm Christianity. We can affirm discipleship. We can affirm Jesus. We can affirm all those things. But his deal is, but what's going on on the inside? Like what's happening in there? And so we have this amazing book of prayers of people pouring their heart out. And there is this benefit of us, of it being able to draw our hearts out. And our hearts out to even go, man, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. You know, you may even think, like I thought this before, like wisdom. I don't even know if I ever have any wisdom. Like it may just like draw me into a prayer. Be wise, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I don't think of wisdom maybe that often. Uh, the instruction of his God is in his heart, all right. And, and again, hopefully drawing us out, and, and maybe that even I, again I, I can kind of shoot darts here and there. But here's the interesting thing: is the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us knows exactly how to convict us and to draw us out. But it takes some time to do that. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You know, and, and again, this 
continual back and forth of the wicked and the righteous and 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 how do we understand the wicked and the righteous today? Like clearly David has a whole lot to say about it. What would be the song we would write about God's interaction with us in times of injustice? How would we how would we write about God's like idea of the wicked? Like when we're trying to be faithful in difficult circumstances, when we're really struggling to be faithful, could we write a song? of direction for our heart towards faithfulness of God. I know this about you. I know, I absolutely know that what I see in the world is not what's the most important thing. What I'm seeing in my eyes isn't what's real. You're real. Okay. Have you ever ever really kind of done that? Giving yourself a spiritual, a little bit of a spiritual pep talk. Like, I know what's right and I know what I'm feeling. I know, I know this. God, I know this is how you are. But this is where I am right now. And I know, all right, is this is a vital part. But here's the big question, okay? Because from the beginning, God has wanted a people of his own. And the goal of having a distinctive or a holy group of people that would live around the world, the goal of that isn't to show everybody how bad they are. The goal of that distinct group isn't to show a superiority to the rest of the world. The goal of that group isn't to show a self-righteousness. Okay, It's a distinctive group to actually show the world, like in a physical sense, what it looks like when God enters into your life and you enter into his kingdom. Okay. And so all of that being said, what is the practicality of the book of Psalms then? If, If God is doing this, because there isn't anything that I read here that just sent us out into the world and hey, go and invite your neighbor and go and talk to your friends and go and bring your coworkers in. Like there isn't that call. So what is the practicality? If God is like, no, but I want my people to be distinct. And in a way that, in fact, like a city on a hill to where the world would look at my people and not go, man, those people are like the biggest jerks I've ever seen. Like they hate people. Like that's not what he's talking about. He's like, no, I want it to be like a city on a hill to where people who are in danger can go, there's safety right there. Like I want to go and be a part of that group, okay? So what on earth, well, of all of the things that we've learned, of all of the questions we've asked, of all of the understanding of, of how these songs are written, what on earth is the practicality for us today in the songs? Okay. So you go home today and you go, God is just and I trust him. How does that change anything? It changes me and how I respond to a life that someone else would be living too versus how they respond. Okay, so let's kind of follow that a little bit, okay? We're going to come back to that. But what, who else would say something else? Yeah, what would you say? Um, I was just thinking, like, well, for encouragement, but then also 
for um, like to examine ourselves and examine our lives to like ask ourselves the questions like you're saying, like stopping and not just, but stopping and examining, asking, being a practical purpose for them. So it's, it's something that's real and living versus like, oh, this is really pretty words. So what would, and I would imagine that both of these answers are probably pretty popular answers, okay? So if I could take this and just examine myself, how does that make any difference in our messed up world? is not super representative of our world. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not super, when I, when I say that is, is there, are, there, there are things that are happening like this second in our world that we couldn't imagine the evil that's happening. The, the abuse and the injustice and we can't we can't even fathom the depths of darkness that there are people experiencing like right now and here's the big secret it is happening in Clemson okay it, there's a veneer over Clemson okay but believe me there there is the, the reality of life and it 
doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in in Clemson. It's happening in that neighborhood as well. There is deep darkness going on in families. And, and why I bring this up is because sometimes what can end up happening in Christianity is very similar to what Jennifer said. Which can go, Man, this is so beautiful. And so, wow, I love this. And it, and it, it is beautiful. And it is amazing. But sometimes the church can be so tone deaf to the world. Right. Okay? That, that we're going, but hold on a minute. While we're like going through this beautiful poetry here, like the world is, is aching for a community of people to be ambassadors for God's kingdom. Like really, really messed up stuff going on. And so that's what I'm saying is, is, is not even practicality in the sense. I know one of the things that we've always loved in church is you want like the three points to take home with you. Okay. Like the preacher to tell you the three things you should do and then the world will be better. Okay. Except here's the interesting thing. If you haven't figured this out yet. Okay. Me and the Holy Spirit are not the same. Have you figured that out yet? Have you? Yes? Okay, good. That's a good thing, okay? To go, oh, no. listen, hopefully the Holy Spirit like gives me words to speak, but here's what I will tell you is every one of us goes into the world, and the Holy Spirit is who's going to be empowering us and guiding us. So what Christian said is so important is the idea of do I go into the world, whether it's my middle school or high school or college or classroom or work, realigned into thinking in light of the kingdom of God? Like realigned from a standpoint of God. Oh, you actually mean that every one of us sitting here, God has ordained to go into a world that is cracked and broken. Okay, and not even just the evil deeds, but you just look at the state of relationships and the state of marriages and the state of all of these things. And it's like there has to be an answer and it's got to come from people who are saying, that's my God. I want to love the way he loved me and the way he loves us. Right. And so how do we take something as beautiful as this, but also even using words like the wicked and the righteous? And oh, my goodness, man, it's like in this like I'm just picking on our city because we live in this city. OK, but you say something wicked in Clemson. It's like it's like, no, he didn't say that. Wicked in Clemson. Wickedness is not in Clemson. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What are we doing then? Listen, if the kingdom has a foothold in Clemson, we should all pack up and move somewhere. Okay, like let's go somewhere where there can be a difference made. But I think there's something here, right? And being able to go, well, how does this right here, how is this little snippet of a psalm meant to take us and insert us into a world that is as messed up today as it was 2,500 years ago or 3,000 years ago? Right? There has to be something to this for us to be thinking about. Right, So we're thinking realignment. What else would you say when you're going, wow, as, as I'm introspective and it's drawing out my heart and I'm looking at this and thinking about injustice and all these things. Okay, so how is that supposed to insert us into the world to where there is substantive change in the community we live in? Well, I guess as I was thinking about the idea that if we if we think in the way of man, our little like how we not we're not super representative of other places, or, or like how does it make an impact? 
anything but one other in the whole. But that's not what makes it a part of the body. It's not finding, man, this is the place where everybody looks like he says, no, you are supposed to all be different. And it can seem like we have, and I feel like that question that we can ask, or, or even people who don't have faith in God can ask, like, what, what does this even help or do? Somebody had their hand. Well, well, whenever I look at this, I keep thinking about, like, especially when you put 
pose that awesome question of, you know, what really had been drawn on as he before out his heart and, and was uh, basically creating a song, his experience with all the stories of God that has given us. And we can pass in a lot of the, the blessings or the, the, the good things that have happened were more promise. And everyone that went through, like you think about Joseph or Noah or even the, uh, the exiles, there is some, they had to hold on to God's promise because what it looked like, if they hold it, just focus on what everything looked like, then that's where the faith was shaken because, you know, because um, then he goes back and he talks about the wicked and, you know, he talks about how they can look like they're the healthiest tree, mm-hmm. but they're like, they're going to be gone and they're going to expire. So, so it's more like the clean and long way as opposed to reaching for a short return. And so when you're looking at, so, so then that, that challenges you to when you are in the world, to kind of be aware and to look at people through God's eyes because people can have nice homes, they can dress nice, and they can look perfect, and they are in so much pain and they're broken. And um, if we constantly um, only look at the outside and, and, and don't pray for God to show us, and we're not going to see it. Because it, it, and I agree with you, in a place like Clemson, it's easy to miss the, the broken and the, and the, I mean, I didn't even think about even like, you know, for the most part, everyone looks like they have it in me, but they're, if you really look, um, like I, I can't tell you how many times I look at my Facebook um, community groups and I see someone like, um, just, Humility, like asking for something, like that, or you know, like just in our community where we have so much, there are people who can't, don't can't get their kids diapers, they can't afford formula, they can't, um, but they might have a home, they might have a place to go, they might have a place to live, maybe be able to put some gas in the car and get to work because they can't afford to give their child a clean diaper. Yeah. You know, and so it's easy for us to look at people like, you know, the cars on the back here, people, you know, you don't see broken down cars in five seconds. Like, you know, yeah. right. um, but there are people who are really living in poverty. You don't know, um, are having to, like, exercise, you know, rationing. So we make sure that everybody's fed. And our city with, you know, apartments that, you know, don't have, you know, don't have, don't look like they have mold, but they might have mold. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it looks good. Everything looks good. Yeah. Right. And so perhaps what we're being called into is more of a prayer of surrender, right? A prayer of like, God, what do you have in store for us here? What is it that you want us to see? Who is it that you want us to see? Okay, because remember, that was one of the cool things about God early on, is people named him. Uh, he's the God who sees. Right? I mean, that's a really cool thing, okay? But maybe this is drawing us into the idea of a prayer of surrender. 
Like, like what? Where do you want me to engage? Who do you want me to see? So for me and thinking of practical, the examples here are basically the wicked are people that just take from their community and take from people, and the righteous are those who give to the community and give people. And just from a practical standpoint, you know, if I want to draw close to God in that perspective, it's giving to people the same way he did, and so that's what I have to try to do. Um, And it's pretty easy to think of. It's kind of hard to do because it means you have to you have to make it make it a focus of of your life to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Great takeaway, because that is this underlying thing in here that we could take the righteous give. The wicked take, the righteous give. Okay? And what's interesting about that is everyone is capable, right? I mean, everybody in every situation from the youngest of us to the poorest of us to all these things is this heart of the righteous will give. That's a great takeaway through this. Let's I think, too, it gives us a framework that our faith isn't like this sterilized thing. So when we do go out in the world and we need those who maybe would fall into the category of wickedness or brokenness, like we have a message of hope that isn't blind to the things that they've experienced in the world. Um, I feel sometimes like I, I know I've talked with people before and they're like, yeah, I was, went to youth group growing up and I said this thing and it was like, mm, you know, like, like people were scared of the brokenness, but the songs are not blind to what, you know, all of us have been through, and so we have a message of hope that's very real for the people that are struggling with these things. Right, yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's good stuff. Somebody, can I miss somebody over here? Somebody. It makes me think of, um, a little bit along those lines of when you think of faith, of just being sure of what you hope for and what you don't see. And reading this particular portion of scripture and look at some of these words of the word forsake. You do feel deserted. But yet in this same line of scripture there's hope. And then in 37 where it says a future awaits those who seek peace. And how in times of when you may feel deserted or forsaken, you can walk faithfully through that because of the hope that you have in what you know awaits in the future. And so when I look at that in a practical it's like, man, that means in times of desertion, I can still love, I can still serve, I can still give, I can still be joyful. Um, and there's just there's so much rest and peace in that. Because yeah. I don't have to see what's coming to know what it's Yeah. And you can yeah, I mean, this is phenomenal stuff because essentially similar like what you're sharing is this idea of as we enter the world that we're able to actually communicate something in a way of going, this is what this looks like in my own life. Like rather than just a, the theory of Christianity, right? And passing that along and saying, no, I got to share this with you. This, this is true. And this is what it looked like. And, and how powerful is that to hear? Rather than the theory of what a Christian is supposed to be, the idea of, oh my goodness, this is actually what it looked like in your life. Yeah, right. 
joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.